Did I tell you my little trick to add an extra layer of protection for myself against all this? No, it isn't. The only places I go right now at all are I go to the grocery store mm-hmm. and I go to this one coffee shop to get these scones that I really like. At this point, honestly, it's like the little fucking things because so much has been taken from us that, God damn it, Andrew, if those scones make you happy, you get a goddamn scone. <laughs> they do. They do. I, I get my mental my mental health scones when I need yeah. them. That's the, yeah. So those are the only places I really go. I really don't go anywhere else. And I had to do grocery shopping like a couple of weeks ago. And it was just, it was a weird couple of days. And it was one of those things where I, I was like, I actually don't know when I can go because like work's been really busy. So it's kind of like, and like, I, I don't like to go on the weekends and everything. And so I realized the only kind of weird block of time I had was like the next morning at seven in the morning when the grocery store opened and the grocery store is only like five minutes away from me. So I was yeah. like, let me go do that. And I went and I was the Is that the only... senior citizen shopping hour? <laughs> it would have been if there were any senior citizens in there, but there weren't, yeah, there weren't even any senior citizens in there. And I was the only person in there. And it was amazing. And it was great. So that was like two weeks ago. And then I had to do grocery shopping again a couple of days Oh my ago. God, is this your new thing? You go at seven o'clock in the morning? That's the thing. And I was like, let me give it a second shot just to see what the deal is. And I went seven in the morning. Again, the only person there. And I'm like, well, now I know when I'm going grocery shopping. Andrew, that is fucking hilarious. Because was, honestly, when I'm left to my own devices, I wake up between 1030 and 11 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm America's I... oldest teenager. <laughs> like, I'm just like, there's no way in hell on me. I'm like, this could actually be the the bubonic plague with a 99% death rate and I would still be like seven o'clock <laughs> <laughs> well luckily I turned into my father a few years ago and my father was always the king of being up at 5 15 in the morning so um I tend to be awake very early in the morning oh my god my wake up so time it's, is it's... is like lunch for you you're you're like making a 10 30 sandwich <laughs> I know I'm like when lunchtime rolls around at 10 15 in the morning <laughs> I know I know man I wish I could carpe diem it sounds really nice on paper just like waking up and seizing the day but right. for me in practice that sounds awful <laughs> I've only done that once right. in my life and I even remember the year I woke up once <laughs> in 2006 I woke up once before work I went to the gym and I had an incredible day and I was just like, oh my God, I should do this more often. And then I never did it again. And that was 15 years ago now. <laughs> That's like the closest I've ever heard to anybody having that weird Mary Lou Retton. I can remember every moment of my life. Not Mary Lou Retton. Um, what's her face from Taxi? Um, she remembers everything uh, from her can, life. Yeah, she has this thing and it's a real thing. It's a real like mental thing where it's like you yeah, just like your brain about. is set up and you can you just remember everything, every moment of your life. So she can yeah. jump back to Oh my god, I know, like, would not want to remember every moment of my life. That sounds yeah, so awful. Would, yeah, yeah. I just remember doing like I remember it because I remember thinking like this is the day my life changes. Right. <laughs> and it was like everything went right back to normal. Mm-mm. I like that it was such a big deal to you though that you even right now you do remember you're like it was 2006, George oh, yeah. W. Bush was president. We were in the thick of the Iraq War. I was 27 years old. I got up to old. go to the gym. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, it was Mary Lou Henner. Was It was not Mary Lou Retton. It was Mary Lou Henner. Oh, That's I know who Mary Lou Mary Retton Lou. is. Olympics 1984, gymnastic sweetheart. Mary Lou Retton. Yeah, and star of Scrooge. Oh, yeah. She, she was, played Tiny yeah, she Tim. A, yeah, she's Tiny Tim in Scrooge. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to grab another glass of wine and we should start talking about our movie. All right, so hello, everyone. Welcome to Stab Gab. I'm your host, Donna. And I'm your co-host, Andrew. (laughs) I'm your co-host. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be your private co-host. Co-host of money. (laughs) Talk about movies that you wish for me to do. (laughs) 
hand, got my hand to my uh, headphone right now. <laughs> check, check. That's how we'll introduce our uh, our Tina Turner podcast, turning on the Tina Turner, and uh, and I don't know, that's uh, tuning into Tina, tuning into Tina Turner. Oh yeah, yeah, tuning into so Tina. Hard to that's say. So uh, this if I say is... if I try to say it fast, the words "tuna fish" will come flying out of my mouth. Oh, totally. I, to I fast, mean, that's so. kind of lends itself to just saying tuna, <laughs> tuna Turner. Is that a garbage pail kid? <laughs> oh yeah yeah so this episode's movie is actually a listener suggestion so to folks out there who are listening we do listen to you when you do decide to talk to us andrew if someone wants to reach out with a movie suggestion where can they contact us at you can contact us at uh our email address sorry (laughs) i was just gonna all i was gonna say is you could contact us through email twitter or instagram and all of that information can be found at www.stabgab.com that's exactly where all that information can be found so just go there that's much better than me (laughs) rifling around my notes being like i wrote the email address down somewhere so yeah 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 um so this is a first for us this is the first time we've watched a movie that neither of us had seen before yes usually one of us is familiar with uh the movie that we are reviewing but this is the first time we've both come in cold yeah yeah, this uh, this episode's film is a suggestion that came from my friend Katie Flaherty. She's a friend and fan of the show, a power listener, if you will. Katie had reached out to me and had asked, have you seen this movie called The Stuff? And I said I had not, and in fact, I had never even heard of it. And she had told me it was a film about haunted, sentient Oreo cookie filling. And I was like, say no more, writing it down, and we will be watching this movie. So this episode's movie is 1985's The Stuff. Warning. We interrupt this presentation with the following urgent message regarding the stuff. If you see it in stores, call the police. If you have it in your home, don't touch it. Get out. The stuff is a product of nature, a deadly living organism. It is addictive and destructive. It can overcome your mind and take over your body. And nothing can stop it. Are you prepared to say on the air that you've actually seen people devoured by the stuff? Tonight, America is in grave danger. It's gonna kill you! It's gonna kill you all! The Stuff. You have been warned. Okay, so this is written and directed by Larry Cohen. I guess he was kind of a low-budget movie-making guy, and I know his one big thing is I think he was the writer of Maniac Cop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, if, that, if that means anything to you, I don't know. I, I've never seen Maniac Cop, but I know that's sort of a uh, underground kind of a thing. Well, I mean, the only thing that I was able to dig up was mm-hmm. Garrett Morris when he was like interviewed about this movie and he was asked, what's it like working with Larry Cohen? The only thing he had to say about Larry Cohen was I was taught growing up that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything <laughs> at all. And that's his only comment on Larry Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> So you sound like a real gem. I mean, that makes me admire Garrett's performance uh, all the more because I really thought Garrett brought a lot of energy to this. And so that's a good sign of his professionalism. So I'm not going to lie. This movie was pretty terrible, but I do have (laughs) to say that I will agree with you with that. Like I actually really enjoyed Garrett Morris's performance in this film. And I actually thought he was the only person in this film that I was like, oh, this guy is showing some talent here. And everyone else, I was just like, oh, Lord. But I guess we should back up here and like do a little back of the, um, can I say it? Can I say it right? <laughs> <laughs> the back of the VHS box. 
<laughs> yeah, let's do a back of the VHS box. Not uh, the VH checks box, recap. but the VHS box. So this movie is bit is kind of like it's like a mix between like a poor man's blob and like a, a really heavy-handed commentary on the 80s health craze. Right. It's the blob with a little bit of invasion of the body snatchers mixed in and perhaps even a little bit of weirdly troll too mixed in as well. Uh, Ooh, that, yeah, weird... I can see that. So yeah, basically then, yeah. this like gooey white substance is found in the middle of fucking nowhere and without any sort of proper FDA testing, it becomes the dessert food that sweeps the nation. But this tasty treat that is called the stuff ends up consuming the consumer and people who end up eating enough of the stuff turn into brainless zombies. It like it turns you into a zombie that wants everybody else to eat the stuff. And I think when it, the stuff is done with you, it hollows your insides out. Like I think the stuff eats you from the inside. Oh, I there is actually a line in the movie. It's like, who's eating who? It seems like right. the stuff is like... It just reminded me of all the crappy foods that I ate when I was a kid in the 80s, like margarine and sizzling and frozen <laughs> foods that came from animals that were probably dead before I was even born. I feel like it's like Steak this ums. like heavy, this heavy handed <laughs> social commentary, just like poorly executed in like a crappy horror movie. I would say ranking this movie, this is like horror mm. ultra late. It's even less horror than uh, Munchies. Yeah, I felt it sort of had that horror in the daytime vibe that Munchies and Troll 2 had. It's not terribly scary. So if you're not a super horror person, it's pretty probably good for that. Yeah, you're not going to be having nightmares from this movie. No, even no. the gross points where the human bodies have been hollowed out by the stuff and the stuff has to vacate the bodies via vomit. It's still really not even that gross. So let's, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> I got excited from the credit roll because again, coming in and knowing absolutely nothing about this, I didn't realize that there are a few people of note in this movie but Paul Sorvino's um, in this movie yeah well Paul Sorvino's in it but the main actor is Michael Moriarty and yeah. and with Paul Sorvino being in the movie I, the first thing I thought in the opening credits was I was like "Ooh, Law and Order reunion because the two of them were on Law yep, and Order they were on Law and Order time. yeah Danny Aiello is in this movie yeah <laughs> it's like a 70s variety show yeah <laughs> Shaka Khan was there <laughs> Kelly Savalas Tony Orlando and Don. <laughs> the baby Jesus and his parents. Chewbacca. <laughs> and Tyne Daly. <laughs> Shadow Stevens. <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh my God. Oh my God. I... And Mary Lou Henner. <laughs> and Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> and Mary Lou Retton. Backflipping into your heart. I felt like this must have been a movie where some favors were called in because when Danny Aiello shows up, I mean, he's an actor of note even when this movie yes. was made. And when he yes. shows, and he's only in really one extended mm -hmm. sequence, like he's not really in the whole movie. So I just wonder if maybe the writer, director, or producer was like buddies with people. But Michael Moriarty, though, he's really our centerpiece figure. Yes, he's I... the main character. He plays a character named Mo Rutherford, who is a former FBI agent who's called in to investigate the rise of this product called The Stuff. He has a job title that he goes by now. He's like, I was a former FBI agent, and now I'm a corporate saboteur or something. Sure, I can see that on a business card. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like his whole thing is you hire him and he comes in to like spy on other companies and I guess mm-hmm. fuck over other companies and stuff. His their name is in a fanciful font. Uh, yeah. <laughs> corporate saboteur is written in a more standard, maybe Helvetica, just kind of getting the point across very quickly that this is what I do. There's a fax number listed somewhere on there because this is 1985. He's wearing maybe the worst wig I've ever also seen on a person in a film before. I'm glad um, that you brought that up because <laughs> I actually wrote down his hair bugs me. And the yeah. other thing that really bugged me was his light yellow brown cowboy boots that he wore Mm -hmm. the whole time with a gray suit he wore them with a Mm -hmm. yellow workman's jumpsuit he just had those shoes on the old time they were ugly shoes and that hair was terrible i have a theory on the cowboy boots but to speak to the hair thing and i I don't think i'm telling tales out of school or anything here but based on law and order several seasons on law and order like he um he's bald you know he think he has hair on the sides but he doesn't have hair on top and um rock your baldness man wear it with yeah. a, wear it as a badge who cares and so that's what had me immediately thinking oh he's wearing a wig just because I remembered him from law and order well, it looked but, like it was floating on top of his head because <laughs> it's really wispy like it's not like a thick curly or or kind of faux combed back or anything style it's, it looks like a strong breeze would sort of just blow it all out of place you know it'd be really incredible mm-hmm if that was actually just his real hair. <laughs> yes. And we get a tweet from him and he's just like, you know what? That was not a wig. That was actually my real hair. I am going to go cry myself to sleep now. You two fuckers. Well, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing Michael Moriarty has ever done in his life if that was the case. Because I did a little reading up on Michael Moriarty. And there Do was some... tell. I would love to hear some Michael Moriarty weird facts. Well, this will tie into my theory about him in this movie. Because... Um, his name is Mo Rutherford. Is that what his name is? Yeah, his name is Mo Rutherford. He's an ex-FBI agent. He's hired supposedly the beginning of the movie. Backtracking just for one second, the stuff mm-hmm. is supposed to be this creamy, almost like frozen yogurt-y, ice creamy type dessert that um, is found bubbling up in the ground. There's no testing done. People just dig it up and put yeah. it in containers and sell it, which sure, why not? Yeah, the movie opens at this quarry, right? And you just yeah. see these guys. There's no foreplay no. in this movie. The movie immediately opens up with this dude who's at a quarry. He evidently works there. It's nighttime. He's walking through the quarry. He finds this white substance bubbling in the ground. And of course, who wouldn't do this? He immediately <laughs> says, what's this? Sticks his finger in it and then puts it in his mouth. Because I know yeah. I would do that. If I found something weird in nature, I would immediately think I should put this in my mouth. And it, apparently, to his luck, it's delicious and doesn't kill him on the spot, but it will kill him later. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. But he's like, it's sweet and it tastes delicious. It's just, and- it's, this is so good. So this becomes the new dessert that sweeps the nation. But it is killing the ice cream business. Mm -hmm. So all the heads of ice cream business meet to talk about, we need to find out what the stuff is and we need to bring the stuff down. Not because hordes of people are eating this un-FDA-proved food that has been found in the ground, but because it's killing the ice cream business. And this is where Mo Rutherford comes in. Mo Rutherford is Michael Moriarty. He is a disgraced FBI agent now um the, yeah i had it written down oh uh, yeah here it is he goes yeah i was i was fired from the fbi for being obscene 
That makes sense. It's the 80s. Sexual harassment was the norm. Well, he sexually harasses every lady in the movie. So, yeah. um He's got a little nine to five action going on. <laughs> yeah. He was what we did with sexual harassers back then. He was like, he's like, well, I got in trouble for being obscene. So I just got shuffled off to a new job. And Oh, Andrew, that still happens. <laughs> so. <laughs> so he shows up on a boat with the heads of the five ice cream families or whatever that was yes all about. exactly it was a meeting of the five ice cream families of new york city <laughs> and before we go into the little michael moriarty factoids because i really want to hear mm-hmm. this his character mo rutherford sounds like he's from the south right but also sounds like he never really learned to open his mouth while he's talking. Yeah. So he kind of just talks like this. He's like, I'm all referred. I don't really open my mouth while I'm talking. I might be from Louisiana. I'm not sure. You're not really going to be able to understand a lot of things that I'm saying anyways. Yeah. I think that's a combo of actor and performance right there because I think like- It's like method my- acting? <laughs> I th- I think Michael Moriarty is, if you just kind of take his Law and Order work, I think he's one of those kind of... Does he open his mouth in Law and Order? He, d- he does open his mouth uh, in court on Law and Order, but he's okay, one good. of those kind of laconic actors. Maybe a modern equivalent would be a guy like Mark Ruffalo, who sort of isn't quite super showy in their performances, but puts the intensity in by how little he's doing, if that makes oh, any sense. God. And he did very little. But I also know that Michael Moriarty is a charitably, you could refer to him as an eccentric, as a human yes. being. Yes, so lay it on us. Tell us yeah. all about all about Mo Rutherford. My feeling about Mo Rutherford is this. I would actually bet the character was just written as a former FBI agent who's now a corporate espionage guy. And I have a feeling Michael Moriarty showed up day one on the set and was like, I've decided oh. this guy's from Texas. And, and I, he's wearing orange cowboy boots and he doesn't really open his mouth when he speaks. And he lost his mother at a young age. Yeah, yeah. Like like, like <laughs> he, he came to this. I'm sure he came to the set with a backstory. Um, it's like, just like no one fucking cares. Do you know what movie we're working on? Just say the lines. Yeah. So for a movie that for a large chunk of it takes place in the New York metropolitan area, he is for some reason a cowboy guy. And there's a whole thing because the whole middle chunk of the movie is everybody from the East Coast heads down to Georgia so you would figure there would there would be this idea of east coasters going to the south to sort of see what's going on in the south so why would you have your main character be sort of a southern guy the fish out of water aspect can't happen that way so my that's my theory just on Michael Moriarty is that he probably brought his own weirdness to it and the reason I'm sort of calling out Michael Moriarty's weirdness is because he very famously quit Law and Order because I guess he decided that Janet Reno was out to get him Janet Reno the former attorney wow. general States. Oh, yes. I don't quite know what the deal was, but she mm-hmm. made some comment about like violence mm-hmm. on television. So he decided to, I guess, counter sue Janet Reno before she could sue him. And I'm sure at the top of Janet Reno's list uh, at that time was, I have to get that Michael Moriarty. I mean, because that was not a busy time for her at all. So I'm sure she had a lot yeah. of Yeah. So he did that. And then he obviously, everyone on Law and Order got really upset at him because of the bad publicity. So he then like turned around and publicly called for the firing of Dick Wolf. Did he punch everyone on set too? Because there's a lot of punching in this movie. Uh, yeah. He didn't, I don't think he punched anybody, but he did quit and then immediately moved to Canada. 
because he's like, I can't stay in the United States because Janet Reno is going to get me. Oh, brother. Other than, I think, a handful of appearances and some other things, I think that might have been the last we've really heard of uh, a lot of Michael Juicy yet sad. Yeah, I don't want to say I'm saying any of this gleefully because I'm not, but I think think Michael had some stuff going on. So he gets hired to figure out what the hell this stuff is and how this ended up in stores without apparently any sort of testing or FDA approval. And we've got a second storyline that's happening at the same time. We have a little boy living in suburban America. Uh, What's his name? Brian? I don't know. Whatever. Let's call him Brian. Um, uh, we'll call him Brian. Doug? He's, on, he's from Long Island. They make a big thing. Doug? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Doug? Guess, let's say his name is Brian. Okay. So Brian is, looks like he's probably about like 11 or 10 years old, and he is very distrustful of this stuff. He sees this stuff coming out of a container in his family home's refrigerator and sees it actually moving around. So he is hip to the fact that there is something incredibly wrong with this dessert. It's very Dana Barrett from Ghostbusters in that he opens the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. And sees the stuff moving around in the refrigerator. And he's like, ah! And he like slams the refrigerator door. And then his father comes down. His father's so angry that that he catches his son like up at night who's just like, I'm just hungry and I wanted something else to eat. You would think that his dad woke up and caught him with a burglar mask (laughs) on, shoving money into the bag (laughs) and being like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Just the (laughs) amount of anger that this father displays is comical. While the father himself has gotten up. Yeah. The whole family, he has an older brother. The whole family has fallen hook, line, and sinker for the stuff. They eat the stuff, no questions asked. They all loved it. Brian is the only one that is suspicious of what the hell this stuff is. Side note, the guy that plays Brian's older brother is actually his real brother in real life. I thought that must have been the case. They look they look exactly alike. I do believe they were locally sourced kid actors, though, because they make a big point of saying that these are kids from Long Island. And boy, by the way they talk, you can absolutely tell that they're kids from Long Island. Because um, yeah, so yeah, it was all like, oh, you can't eat the stuff. It's bad over there. Like an old, a lot of that stuff. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, get off the roof. Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> don't eat that. It's not good. So these are the two storylines that we've got going on. We've got Mo Rutherford. They call me Mo because every time I'm around, I need more money. Yeah, that was he keeps doing that. Like he does, he goes, "They call me Mo because I need more money." And then like later on, I, he's trying to get the girl's phone number. And he's like, "They call me Mo because I need Mo phone numbers." Or I don't think that was actually the line. That was. <laughs> I wish that's what he said because that makes no sense. <laughs> but like, yeah, but he work he works in it about three times in the movie. He says he keeps like, "They call me Mo." Yeah, so those are the two big storylines going on. We've got Mo Rutherford um, and little Brian trying to like save his community from eating the stuff because he already knows that it is bad. Right. So Mo obtains himself a love interest in this story, which happens to be the woman who is the head of all of the stuff's advertising campaign. Her name's Nicole. I don't know. God, I'm just making up names. Sorry. This is the episode where I just made I like I know I usually make up names. I'm like as bad as my mom. God, I hope it's Nicole. I'm going to go to the IMDb page. It'll, when did this come out? 85. Wow. Yes, you got it. Her name's Nicole. So Nicole, she is the like head of advertising for the stuff. The success of the stuff on the market is attributed to her. We first meet Nicole when she's on an incredible photo shoot of, and it doesn't get any more ease than this, folks. 
models with big hair, too much makeup, wearing bathing suits and fur coats, eating the stuff. It's like, let's just go full 80s here. It was definitely, it was a poor man's Duran Duran video. At the start of the movie, the stuff is already a huge product. We don't even learn how it came to market. It's already everywhere, already huge. So Nicole is overseeing just the latest advertising for it. It's aggressively sexual. I believe there's some double entendres happening. There's also some song. Like the tagline is enough is never enough. So Mo Rutherford shows up. First of all, I don't know how he gets on set. Second of all, he totally interrupts the whole shoot that's happening because he needs to talk to Nicole. And he just personally shuts it down himself. He's just like, everybody take five. And it's just like, who the fuck are you? And then basically he lies to her, tells her he wants to like buy her company and hire her to run it. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she like grabs her assistant. She's like, clear my schedule for tonight. I'm going to meet with this man to talk about this stuff. This is like, I'm watching like David Sedaris's Dawn story play out on screen right now. It's just like, <laughs> I've got a lot of money. I want to give it to you. If you say so. Okay. Yeah. There's a also sort of a proposition that happens in it him what hotel that he's staying at because he asks her where should we go get dinner she asks him where he's staying at he tells her what hotel it is and she says how's the room service i'm just like you don't know anything about this dude he walks in he like stops your photo shoot tells you he wants to buy your company and then you're just like okay and on top of it i'm gonna fuck you Sounds legit. Well, you know, he did have cowboy boots on, so maybe she's got a thing for cowboys. And uh, yeah, so, and he says something like, oh yeah, I have my limo outside. And she's like, well, I have my limo waiting too. So they take separate limos back to his hotel. Everyone's got a limo in the 80s. Yeah, Andrew, yeah. do you have a limo? I had a limo taken to school. When I was like a real little kid, I assumed that any limo that went by had Michael Jackson in it. So on the rare occasion, I would see a limo. Because it's not like those were really around in Ohio, but I would be like, oh my God, Michael Jackson's right. in there. I don't know where this logic came was it, from. It was Michael Jackson every single time in your in your brain, or was it just yeah. any old celebrity? But it's not like I saw like a ton of limos, but like when I would occasionally see like the Randall limo, which was probably like Randy's limo mm-hmm. rental, and it was probably just taking like some high school kids <laughs> to prom. It's funny you say, I have a version of this myself because there was a limo company in my town growing up, and a rumor got out, Billy Joel's looking for a house around here. See, things are so much cooler on the East Coast. (laughs) There's like some legitimacy to you thinking that there's Billy Joel driving around because he's looking for a house to buy in your town. There's no reason for fucking Michael Jackson to be like randomly hanging out in Cleveland. Were there any any kids who live next door to you? Or (laughs) (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Sorry, 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 sorry. But yeah, but we thought Billy Joel was looking for a house or something in my town and somebody said, that's his limo. And it was, it was just this limo that belonged to, for some reason, there was a limo company in my town. And so every time it would drive by, somebody would be like, Billy Joel must be out for a drive taking a limo somewhere, even to run to CVS or whatever. Is that right? Blockbuster video. I'm going to run a movie. Um, <laughs> so while all this is happening, Brian's family is becoming even more zombified. Right. So they're trying to get Brian to eat the stuff. Can we talk about before that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian goes to the supermarket. This might have been my favorite part of the movie because the family goes to the supermarket just to do some grocery shopping. And granted, Brian had a creepy experience with the stuff and that he saw it moving around his refrigerator. And that was bad. But that was so far the only stuff experience he had had. 
And so he goes to the supermarket and he just sees some other kid holding a canister of the stuff and he like smacks it out of the kid's hand. And then he just goes ape shit and starts running around the supermarket. And he's like <laughs> breaking the glass containers where the stuff is and like knocking it out. And he grabs a rake and he starts like swinging the rake around and taking out all the displays of the stuff that are piled up. It the other thing I'm impressed about this whole scenario too was like, he's like a little kid. Right. And no one can seem to bring him down. He causes <laughs> utter fucking chaos in this grocery store and he is like unstoppable. Yeah, there's literally a scene where three grown adult men uh, who work at the grocery store, it requires all three of them to hold him down to stop him from knocking all of the displays over. Yes. And he's got his Long Island accents who's like, yeah, none of you can eat the stuff. I just, it was great. Like It was like that show where people go crazy in a supermarket to win prizes. What Supermarket sweep? It was like that. Yeah, it was like a one-man supermarket sweep mixed with an episode of Double Dare is what it was like. And yeah. <laughs> and it was really entertaining. It was really entertaining to watch a kid just destroy a supermarket yeah, entirely by himself. And no one was able to stop him. <laughs> so now we cut back to Mo Rutherford, hot on the trail, inspecting the origin of the stuff, and enter Danny Aiello. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Michael Moriarty goes over to Danny Aiello's house and you just get the he sense. He pretends he's a writer from Consumer Affairs. Because he was, he's tr- he was trying to get the paperwork to learn how the stuff got approved and sent to the market. And so like Danny Aiello answers the door and first you're like, hey, it's Danny Aiello. What is he doing? And he's in this wearing week? a full suit, just hanging out at his house, wearing full suit. Right. Because his whole thing is like, I heard you used to work at the FDA and approve the stuff. And he's like, uh, they retired me at the FDA. So he got basically, I guess, fired or something. But but he also he has this giant dog, maybe like a Doberman Pinscher or something. Yeah, it's a Doberman. He's got like a huge Doberman. And there's a real strong sense that the dog is in control of the house because there's a lot of Michael Moriarty trying to ask Danny Aiello, like, uh, how did you exactly did you end up approving the stuff? And you, and there's a lot of like Danny, like quickly looking at the eyes of the dog being like, am I allowed to say it? He's Everything. very scared of his dog. You could tell like the dog was like, if you say anything, I will eat your throat out of your neck or something like that. And um, and that's basically the vibe. So because like Danny's trying to placate Michael Moriarty, but is still trying to just get him out of the house as quick as he can. It's just so funny how blase he is about it. Like, Moe's just like, how's this stuff made? And then he just repeats back to him, and he's like, how's it made? (laughs) He's like, oh, well, do you want a coffee? He's like, I have some paperwork upstairs that probably answers your question. Oh, yeah, and then he comes downstairs with the paperwork, and it's like a church bolden. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all the information you need to know. Two sheets. (laughs) Two sheets. Yeah, basically, Danny's like, we just checked to make sure it didn't hurt anybody. And it didn't hurt anybody, so we approved it. That's cool. Danny's just playing dumb the entire time. So then Michael Murray leaves the house or something. He leaves because he is placated enough with the church bulletin of information that he's been given. He says that he will make copies of it and mail it back to him. <laughs> and then apparently it turns out that Danny's character is not only himself eating the stuff, but he's feeding it to his fucking dog. And that's when you learn the dog is in control. The dog stuffs zombies out. And we may not have mentioned this yet, but when the stuff is regurgitated from your body, you basically go into a situation where your jaw unhinges, not unlike a Mm -hmm. snake. And the stuff crawls its way out of your body. So the dog does this while attacking Danny Aiola's character. And I fucking cackled at this. Danny's trying to call for help. And the dog rips the phone cord out of the wall. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, oh yeah, the dog dude. It's like, oh, I gotta put the kibosh on this. Yeah, and then the dog disconnects his jaw. The yeah. stuff comes out of it. But the scene is cut between him being attacked by the dog and then close-ups of the dog like regurgitating the stuff. But when he's yeah. being attacked by the dog, the dog looks like a total, just like regular old dog. Yeah, you can tell someone's about to. The stuff is about to happen when it, somebody turns into a puppet. So like, the dog suddenly turns into. He goes from being a real Doberman into being a puppet Doberman. And then that's the last we see of Danny. The dog kills him, and I guess Danny was only going to work the one day, and that was the end of that. So, and yeah, you've got me for one day, man. And yeah. if you don't get the shot, then you need to make not only a Doberman puppet, but you need to make a Danny, <laughs> a Danny puppet too. Like, so at this point, we cut back to Brian and his family. Brian has been punished for his outburst in the grocery store. So at this point, the family is hook, line, and sinker with the stuff. Brian comes downstairs from his punishment, and he sees that the garbage can is full of the stuff container. And the family is all in the living room. And yeah, it is like goobble gobble, goobble gee, one of us, one of us. They're just like all on the sauce. And... They really want him to eat the stuff. Well, first of all, he tries to escape. His older brother catches him and puts him in a headlock and is just like, just eat this stuff. And then Brian pretends to agree and he's like, I'll eat it. He's going back upstairs and the father's like, you eat that and then you could be part of this family again. Yeah, he takes it upstairs, makes like he's going to pretend to eat it. He does a head fake, and instead of going to his bedroom, he goes into the bathroom. So sneaky, so sneaky. Yeah, and he spoons it out into the toilet. And it like almost crawls out of the toilet for a second. It like waves goodbye at him, and then he's flushed. (laughs) Um, Did you notice? There looked like there were pee stains on the toilet. I noticed two things in the bathroom. Yeah, you noticed it too? I did notice that. I noticed Oh my the, God, I was yeah. like, why can't you just wipe? Like, we don't need it to be hyper real, okay? I realized that stuff, that stuff, that stuff yeah. happens on the toilet, but, yeah. you know, I don't need to, I don't they need didn't need to share it with the audience. We've talked Sorry. about toilets a lot on this show. Yes, we have definitely talked about toilets. A lot of toileting. And I'll I'll make my second announcement that I'm not even really a scatological guy, so it's not even my favorite topic to go over. I think that's the second time you've said that. Yeah, I've learned this. I'm in the minority on this. Usually I learn this on our friends text Jane when they're talking about all sorts of things <laughs> I don't really need to be hearing about. Yeah. But yes, it was so gratuitous that it was hard to not notice it for some reason. Which yeah, was not I was like, oh, I'm going to throw up. Why is there so much pee in this toilet room? Yeah, and then also my eye was drawn to the fact there's a Motley Crue poster hanging up yes! in the bathroom. I wrote that down too. I wrote that down too. I was just like, maybe this is just Brian's bathroom. Like if right. this is just brian's bathroom then i can maybe understand there being a motley crew poster in here but if this is the family bathroom i could not imagine being like hey mom can i put this cure poster up in the bathroom and my mom being like oh that's cool let's do that the one bit of secret set decoration i recognized was that he had return of the jedi sheets which so. that makes sense he's of the right he's a kid age. this movie was 85 that, he, that kid would have liked return of the jedi at that time yeah so. We actually have one of Dave's old, I think it's Return of the Jedi, or maybe it's Empire Strikes Back. I don't remember. But we have some Star Wars pillowcases that were Dave's when he was a little kid. And we have them folded up and put away. Um, Dave has asked me to put them out on our bed sometime, and and I've said no. Why not? No. You should totally let him do that. You know, I like Star Wars too. I just don't need, you know, I'm not, I'm not a tween boy. I don't need, I don't need well, this. Well, you're talking to the wrong audience because I am a grown man who has also retained my Empire Strikes Back pillowcase from when I was a and kid. And you're like, and they are on my bed right now. And they're on my bed right now. <laughs> 
and uh and you know listen when me Luke skywalker and hans quarantine for the rest of his life <laughs> yeah 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 i'm in a quarantine of my own making because of my return <laughs> of the jedi bed sheets not because of any uh, yeah 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 well no, no, i don't no. know i don't want to say you're a terrible wife but i think that you should probably <laughs> let him i don't want to say that if you and i were married we'd be divorced by now but i might have to say that <laughs> <laughs> So Brian throws the stuff in the toilet. He's just like, I'm not having any of this. The stuff weighs goodbye to him from the pee stained toilet and gets flushed out, <laughs> gets flushed out to the ocean, which then we all in turn consume through our Brita filters. Brian fills up his empty stuff container with a bunch of shaving cream and goes downstairs and, and pretends to enjoy it. So his family. Oh, he does more than pretends to enjoy it. Eats it. He gives it a real good chance, though. He eats five scoops of shaving cream. And then he just like hits the wall and he's like, I can't pretend anymore. I'm just shoveling shaving cream into my mouth. And then this is when we have our hot chase scene. Oh, yeah, the hot chase scene. Family, he has to go puke up the shaving cream. And his dad sticks his fingers in the container and realizes this is not the stuff. Yeah, so he books right out of the house and he's like running across the yard and his family is chasing after him. They're like, come back and eat the stuff. So Mo Rutherford. Mo Rutherford. Mo Rutherford. Had read a story. I think it was in the Post. <laughs> I think it was the New York Post. He read a story about how this kid out on Long Island like freaked out, and for some reason, Mo Rutherford's just like, "I gotta talk to that kid." He's got ESP about the stuff. He's like, "I do declare, I have to talk to that boy out on Long Island." Yeah, I don't I'm know like, what I don't accent remember. I'm doing right now. No, you sound like Mo Rutherford, and actually, you're a little bit too enunciated for him. Like, try that again, <laughs> but just don't move your jaw so much. He's like, "How about Long Island?" <laughs> so the timing just so happened that while brian is being chased by his family mo rutherford happens to pull up at the same time and realizes that brian's being chased by his family provides brian a safe haven to escape from his family by jumping in the car but also at the same time i'm like so mo you're now on the docket for kidnapping yeah and i say another bad mark against the kid's parents because yeah poor little what's his name again timmy right Tiny Tim. Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian. Let's pause for a second. I don't even know if that's his real name. Hold on. on, I have it. Hold on. Oh, it's Jason. Jason. It's Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just keep calling him Brian. We're too far into this. We can't go back. He is Brian. I'm not going to go back in and edit in like Jason's over over all of the other Brian's. And from here forth, you shall be called... Brian, hum. <laughs> so Brian, having been taught well by his parents, immediately jumps into a car with a grown man he's never met before. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't even need to get in a car there, baby Brian. And, and Brian hops in the car. You just made Mo sound like an auctioneer. Escape for the boy there, running out of the house. And, yeah. <laughs> So they take off, and thankfully, Brian throws up in the backseat of the car to get all of the shaving cream out of his stomach. They talk about him throwing up for a really long time. I couldn't stop laughing. Minutes went by, and they were still talking about him puking. And there's a line. He's explaining to Michael Moriarty why he threw up in the back of the car. He's like, I had to eat the shaving cream because I was trying to pretend it was the stuff. And Moriarty just goes, everybody has to eat shaving cream uh, once in a while. What? It's like, oh, that old saw. Everybody has to eat shit. 
I should do it in a Michael Moriarty voice. So he's like, yeah, everybody has to eat the same cream. It's just they talk about it for so long, and it actually cuts away to Nicole waiting at the airport for them to get yeah. on a private plane to head down to Georgia to like further investigate what the stuff is right. made out of. And they go back, and and Brian and Mo Rutherford are still talking about how he puked in the car. Oh my yeah. god, you guys are still talking about this. Stop <laughs> talking about the shaving cream puke. So we've got Nicole and Mo Rutherford and Lil Brian getting on the plane. And Nicole, for a split second, is like, what is this? Because he comes running out of the car with a child that's right. obviously not his. And he's just like, this is the kid that freaked out in the grocery store. And she's just like, all right, cool. Everyone gets on the plane. <laughs> Brian is not like, where are my parents? Nicole and Mo are not like, we might get in huge trouble for kidnapping. Everyone just gets on the plane. They head down to Georgia <laughs> to get some answers. They leave little Brian on the plane, the adults, <laughs> and they head to the stuff headquarters under the guise that Nicole is going to be shooting a new a new commercial and they want to shoot it at the factory. Right. So they need to see like how is the stuff made because we want to put this in our commercial. So it's basically just all a front to like figure out how this fucking stuff is made. You had mentioned about them making a commercial because the movie they keep showing you the commercials that are airing all over the country for the stuff. So they show you one commercial that starred oh the who's the beef lady yeah 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 so it was Ava Goda and 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 the where's the beef lady something like Clara Peller and she says where's the stuff and I and I just thought that was great yeah, there was a there was a vape. I'm sorry, about to say vape vagoda. Uh, there, yeah, there was a uh, vape vagoda would be a good name for a vape store. I like that. That would be yeah. Or a garbage pail kid. <laughs> Bring it back. Vape vagoda would be a good. Would be a all the good. Gen Zers would be like one. What is garbage pail kids? Two. Who is ape vagoda? <laughs> all of it would just be lost. All of it's lost. Oh my god, he's always been old. He was born yeah. old. Yeah, when Abe was in The Godfather, he looked like he was 75 years old. I think when he was in The Godfather, I think he was like 42. Like, I don't even think he was like... Oh my God, he was like the same age as me. <laughs> You're Abe Vigoda age now, so that's okay. Oh my God, I'm Abe Vigoda age! <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't look like Abe Vigoda, so you're probably okay. All that fucking eye cream, man. Well, Paul Rudd's older than you, and that guy looks like he's 14 years old. So you're fine. You're more on the Paul Rudd spectrum than you are on the right. Abe Vigoda spectrum. So. Yeah. Yeah, dodged a bullet yeah, on that uh, one. So Nicole and Mo Rutherford pretend like they're shoot, going to shoot a, a commercial there. She actually refers to Mo Rutherford's characters. She's like, this is my male secretary. And I'm like, I love that the <laughs> word was thrown in there because it's the 80s. It's just like, oh, how unusual. You have a male secretary. So they go in there. They do a little recon, figure out the layout with the intent of going mm-hmm. back later and really scoping up the scene. But before that, they're going to get a good night's sleep. But what I think is really crazy is that between this time period, Brian has left the plane because there was a stuff attack on the plane. Some stuff made its way into right. the plane and went after Brian. Nicole and Mo, they do this fake setup for this commercial that they're going to shoot. Then they go mm-hmm. to go get some shut-eye at the motel. Where's the kid? Right. They find him later, spoiler alert, but the fact that they've gotten this far and they're just like, 
This is what no, I remember what it was because they land at the airport and the kid he's asleep on the plane when they land at the airport and Michael Moriarty says to the pilot he's like we're gonna go check out the factory to check this thing out when the kid wakes up keep him entertained for a while if you don't hear from us in like three hours fly him back to his zombie parents I it, I don't think it was they were gonna fly him back somewhere like with the idea is that they were gonna fly I don't know where wherever it is that Michael Moriarty comes from originally so. <laughs> Um, it's like if you're if we're not back in three hours, you be an accessory to kidnapping. This is what made me laugh <laughs> about that. Three hours. This is your son now. Yeah, yeah. But this is what made me. This is what made me laugh about that was because you remember when Michael Moriarty originally shows up to the commercial shoot and he bosses everyone around to shut down the commercial and take five when yeah. he has no jurisdiction to do that. I like that when they get to the airport, he's ordering the pilot. He's like, when the kid wakes up, keep him entertained for an hour. And the pilot should have been like. Dude, I fly an airplane for a living. I don't know who the fuck you are. I'm not looking after some weird kid you leave yeah, me for. I'm not, a, I'm not a babysitter, and I'm not helping you out with this weird kidnapping sitch. You, yeah, uh, yeah. But that was it. I think they thought that the kid was flying back on the private plane. <laughs> and then while they're tucked in for the night at their motel, and they're getting ready to get a good night's sleep, they get attacked by some right. stuff that had apparently been hiding in the mattress. How it got in there, I don't know, but it clawed its way out of the mattress and was ready to kill Rutherford by attaching itself to his face a la alien style. Because it like scurried out, jumped across the room and landed right on his face. It was like a face hugger. Yeah, it was like alien. But the thing that I thought was really crazy is that Nicole's first instinct was, I'm going to douse this thing on your face with some like lighter fluid or perfume or something. There was a small kerosene lamp in the motel. Yeah, I'm going to light it on fire to get off your face. To her credit, it works. The thing jumps off his face. There's more stuff around. Another guy comes in who's what has now been coined a stuffy. He's of the stuff. He's Um, like a henchman. He's like a stuff henchman. Yeah, he's attacking them. They fight back. The stuff eats him. The whole motel goes up in flames. And what was going to be a next day project of going back into the stuff factory to find out what the stuff is has now just been expedited to we're going to do this right fucking now. So they head back to the quarry. Little do they know that Brian is also there too. And Brian has gotten himself trapped in a truck that is slowly filling up with the stuff. When the stuff tried to attack him on the airplane, he escapes the airplane and runs away. And I think he knew that they were headed to the quarry or something. I don't know. He just like somehow serendipitously ends up at stuff ground zero. Yeah, he's at the quarry and he's doing his own snooping around. I think he's trying to hide from somebody and he's like, I'll hide in the empty tanker of the truck. And so he goes into the little hole up top and he's inside. Not that this movie was ever a great experience for me. Right. But I do have to say that this is the point in the movie where it it rapidly goes downhill and I start to lose all interest. They go to the quarry. They find the source of the stuff. They realize mm-hmm. that the stuff is actually this shit that's in the ground that's basically being scooped out of the ground and put in a container. Mm-hmm. Which to that end, I'm just like, why are we even here? You could have just tested the stuff as it was in the container. Since there's no difference between what's in the container and what is being found in the ground. Michael Moriarty explodes the quarry 
Yes. He has, I don't know how to explain this because again, his job is so vague. His, his job is I'm a corporate espionage guy, but he brings with him a bunch of C4 explosive and he sets it all around the quarry and blows up the entire quarry. And I don't know where he got this from or how he got it. And I don't know if you can buy C4 commercially. <laughs> Never having blown anything up in my life before. I don't exactly know how that works. So the quarry explodes and Mor- Moriarty steals a truck with the stuff because he's just like, we're going to take this stuff and have it tested. This turns out to be the truck that Brian is trapped in with the stuff. So they save Brian from the stuff in the truck. Brian, in the meantime, is having like a full-on existential crisis inside the truck <laughs> with the stuff. He's like yelling at the stuff. And he's like, you stole my family. And I'm just like... I was with I was with Brian at this point. I think he thought this was the end. He's stuck in a tanker truck and the stuff is moving in and it's going to kill him. He didn't know Moriarty was out there and was going to save him. So I think Brian was just, I think he was just shouting in the void being like, yeah, I'm here. Fuck you. Come get you. Yeah. So Moriarty saves him and they're on the truck and Moriarty's logic is that they need to get to a bigger city because mm-hmm. he feels that these smaller cities might be under control of this stuff. So they need to get to the bigger city to like blow the lid off of this thing. And I don't know where he made a decision that we're going to do this thing instead, but they don't end up going to a big city. They end up going to like some secret military facility to get protection from Paul Sorvino and his band of merry militiamen. <laughs> It sort of looks like a military base, but it's sort of like a castle that's kind of out in the woods somewhere. And it's really unclear to me whether this is an army base and they're officially army guys, or as you just said, if it's Paul Servino and like isolated militia guys. I couldn't quite and tell. Officially army guys, I have to say from looking at some of these army guys, they look like they were like 14-year-old nerds. Yeah, so they were. Either this is supposed to be a bunch of angry white dudes who are like banding together to play war, or mm-hmm. you really just didn't have enough of a budget left over for your extras and you just got whoever you could get but this is definitely the part of the movie where i am like i'm done this whole like right, weird right. left turn of we're getting the military involved and we're gonna go <laughs> and it's gonna be like the end of goonies just like with this heroic <laughs> music and we're like running in and storming things yeah at this point i was just like right, i'm like a little over the social commentary of are you eating the thing or is it eating you i'm just like i don't know man right. i was a kid in the <laughs> 80s and I just ate whatever my mom got from the store sorry I know fruit roll-ups probably aren't the healthiest thing. They're kind of fucking tasty, and I was eight, so I don't know. (laughs) My theory on it is I kind of wonder if they needed a bunch of guys to play military guys, and they just looked around, and they were like, maybe some of the guys in the film crew can play military guys, because you're right. They were very nerdy-looking, and they were not terribly in shape, and there were a lot of mustaches. There were like a lot of, like prepubescent mustaches and a lot of (laughs) doughiness, like a lot of soft doughiness a lot of gaffers yeah (laughs) i mean at this point like i'm willing to like wrap up this movie unless there's like things (laughs) that you want to talk about from this scene because at this point i was just like this movie needs to end i fucking like am over this right now it's totally fine. I mean, I'll, I'll only point out that it was sort of fun to see Moriarty and Paul Sorvino together in a pre-Law and Order context. Yeah. When he's hanging out with Paul Sorvino's character, mm-hmm. he's so fucking in Paul Sorvino's face that I was yeah. just like, just got to a point where I'm like, are they going to make out? It looked like they were going to kiss. Yeah. Because yeah. he's also. 
asking for it. He started whisper talking at Paul Sorvino <laughs> too. Talking, he's like getting closer and closer. It was like the scene from like Little Mermaid when Sebastian's like telling Ariel or like, do you feel like this girl? I'm like, are we having a moment? I don't know. It just got like really kind of like a little sexy. A very close talker. He's going to kiss the Sorvino. La 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 la. So I wonder if they showed up first day of the set together on Law and Order, and they're like, "I know you." <laughs> Maybe well, do you think Moriarty was like, "I have to continue talking to him in character from the stuff," and he's like, "Oh, good to see you, there, uh, Paul Savino." Like, whatever. Oh, hey, Paul Savino. That's really good. Paul Savino's like, "Fuck, I can't believe I have to work with this guy again." But now for like a longer period of time because it's a TV show. So basically, what happens is I'm going to sum this up in a nutshell. And Paul Savino and his band of merry militant men they storm storm. <laughs> quarry they blow up the place they go to kill the worker bees there but it turns out the worker bees have committed suicide a la jonestown style because i guess they're that controlled by the stuff and it turns out that paul servino in addition to being the head of a really strange militia also owns some radio stations in the atlanta georgia area so they go to the radio station that he owns and sent out a message to the masses to tell them the stuff is bad don't eat the stuff if you sell the stuff, don't sell it. If you are a, I don't know, if you just don't eat the stuff. That was basically what the <laughs> message was. And I just thought it was really funny that it was like this message is coming from some like kooky, crazy Marlon Brando type apocalypse now. <laughs> Colonel Kurtz. Yeah. And it's not coming from like the president or like the head of the FDA. And it's only a message that's being broadcast in Atlanta. Yet somehow this message is carried throughout all of the United States. And then we get all these scenes of like piles of the stuff being set on fire and the stuff stores mm. being blown up. And, um, I mean, I hate to tell you this, Donna, but I sort of feel that is how modern communication works, which is some crazy militia guy in the deep south uh, <laughs> comes up with an idea, spreads it via alternative media, and then people show up to You're attack like, buildings. Wait a minute, this sounds awfully familiar. But I- I'm going to give the stuff, I'm going to say the stuff was more prescient than we're maybe giving it credit yeah. for being. You're like, but place. Atlanta radio station with a platform called Twitter. And replace grocery store with the United States Capitol. And yeah. So by the end of the movie, we're all led to believe that everything's okay and that the stuff is completely gone. But then we find two drug dealers on the street buying a contraband box of the stuff and they eat it and scene. I mean, I guess for me as a wrap up, like I thought this movie was so... <laughs> If I were to equate certain horror movies to cigarettes, <laughs> I would say something to the effect like maybe the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise mm-hmm. would be a Marlboro Red, a very strong cigarette. Okay. Um, this movie, The Stuff, would be a Misty Ultralight 100. <laughs> so it is very like not even horror light. It's mm-hmm. like horror ultralight. Like I think Munchies probably has more thrills and, and chills than this movie does. I've never smoked cigarettes, so I don't know anything about that. So uh, You're like, Donna, your smoking thing is completely lost on me. 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm like candy cigarettes. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think I did enjoy this. I think I enjoyed this more than you did. I mean, I think all of its faults are certainly there, but I, I'm going to chalk it up to the editing. This was an extraordinarily fast moving movie. I think it's only about an hour and a half long. It's not terribly long. And I thought that so much crazy stuff kept happening and then they would just move on so quickly from it. That sheer momentum was carrying me through. I think if this had been a not great movie and it hit just like patches of half hour slogs through scenes, I probably would have soured on it a little bit more. But I, I don't know. It just, it kept going and it kept getting weirder and weirder. And but yeah, I just think sheer momentum carried me through and it was so dopey and so weird. And, uh, oh, we didn't even touch on the fact that at the end of the movie, Michael Moriarty and the kid, I think essentially commit murder. So it kind of went pretty dark. Yeah, they made the purveyors of the stuff, the the head hunters of the stuff, they made them eat the stuff. Yeah, they bring in like a suitcase full of stuff because they knew that the stuff was not good. To borrow your cigarette analogy, it was if they showed up at Philip Morris and they were like, we're not leaving this room until you smoke every last carton of cigarettes of cigarette that we've brought in yeah and um i'm pretty sure michael moriarty and the kid murder those two guys and then that's yeah. kind of the end of the movie so it ended on a moment of vengeance so i guess they got their comeuppance so so are we ready for this i think we are ready for it all right so let's do our three key takeaways Can I go first? Absolutely. Because this is a real burning question for me. (laughs) That was never answered. And maybe if I say it out loud, maybe there's something I missed. Maybe you can tell me an answer, or maybe you can give me at least a really good guess as to what it is. I'm happy to make something up. What is the stuff? (laughs) It's never, is it an alien from outer space? Like a swamp thing like organism that's always been living on planet Earth and we just now discovered it? Yeah, this is where I think you and I are having three key takeaway overlap. My version of this was going to be, they never explained the origin of the stuff. Is it an alien goo? Why does it mind control people? There were moments when we were down in the pit that it almost looked like it was going to turn into that creepy head from the abyss. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, the pseudopod. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, is it going to make a face? But then it doesn't. It just always kind of stays in this like weird mushroomy like shape. I was thinking it was more like the slime from Ghostbusters 2 than it was like a liquid metal man from a James Cameron movie. So yeah, it was kind of more like a clump that would come out and be like, and then go back. Yeah, it never took the shape of man. I was waiting for it. Like I was like, oh my God, it's going to be like the abyss. I need to rewatch that movie as an adult because I haven't seen it since I was a kid and it scared the shit out of me as a kid. Oh shit. It's a weird movie. In some ways, it's an impressively mounted movie, but it's also... Put it this way, it has all the pluses and minuses of a James Cameron movie. So, you know. Now, someone may have made a mention of like, oh, they think it's an alien goo or something, but it's never explored. It's never really uh, brought up or handled and not in a way that creates mystery or anything, but just in a way that I think confuses you. And I think they missed an opportunity not explaining it because... If this movie was made in 85, that's the height of the Cold War, and that's the height of all of us you know, worried that at any moment we could be uh, incinerated and- uh, By the Russians. Nu- yeah, nuclear hellfire. Or, sorry, nu- nuked by the Soviets. Ex- exactly. So you could have done a thing where you were like, maybe the stuff was manufactured in an Oreo factory next to a nuclear power plant that melted down, or a warhead landed at an Oreo factory. 
Project Conrad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think you could have tied that into the crazy militia guys at the end of the movie where like, because Paul Sorvino keeps talking about how much he hates commies. So I felt like you could have tied it in where like, yeah, the commies accidentally invented the stuff and now we got to deal with it. So missed opportunity. And yes, my key takeaway overlaps with yours and that what was the origin of the stuff when we never learned, which makes me think we'll only have to learn in the sequel, the stuff to double stuff. <laughs> 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 so I think that sets you up to do key takeaway number two. Mine is actually, I'm going to do two and three at the same time because they're both connected. Okay. Why on earth would you just eat something out of the ground? Yeah, that's probably the biggest leap of logic in the entire film. Who the hell would just be like, oh, there's this weird bubbling white substance in the ground. Not only am I just going to reach down and touch it, but then I'm going <laughs> to put it in my mouth. Yeah, And then my final key takeaway that's attached to that is don't feed your pets the food that you eat. I have a dog. Haki only gets very specific human foods. And by that, I mean like carrots and blueberries. I would never mm -hmm. be like... Taki, here, have some ice cream, have some frozen yogurt, have some shit that was found in the ground by a crazy old guy. So yeah, I feel like that was a real leap of faith for us to expect that anyone would just see something bubbling up out of the ground and they'd stick their hand in it and eat it. And then also, yeah. like, don't feed your dog the foods that you eat. I will give Danny Aiello cover for feeding his dog the stuff for two reasons. One is I think he himself was under the... They're stuffies. Yeah, he was a stuffy. So he was under the sway of the stuff himself. And also, he was probably so upset that his daughter, Madonna, had gotten pregnant in the Papa Don't Preach video <laughs> that he was probably yes! just, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He probably just was like, his mind was elsewhere. He was a lot like, on his mind. He's just like, I ran out of dog food and my teenage daughter's pregnant and she's decided that she's keeping her baby. Ooh, yeah. Gonna keep her baby. Ooh. Yeah, he's like my teenage daughter Madonna, who's twenty six, is gonna keep a baby that she got pregnant with. So I think yeah. So his mind was elsewhere. She made up her mind. She's keeping her baby. Yeah, I remember. I'd have to Google this to see if it wasn't something I came up with in a fever dream. But I think Danny Aiello himself recorded a response song to Papa Don't Preach. Shut up. I hope that this is not a fever dream and that this is something that exists in the world. I think it was called like something like your father only wants the best for you or something. It was supposed oh to be God. it was supposed to be the parents point of view of Papa Don't Preach, I think. Wow. You know what? I really want this to sound like super Italian. <laughs> like I want it to be like him singing over the type of music that would be like, oh, so la mia. <laughs> He's he's sitting uh he's sitting in a you Madonna. He's sitting uh he's sitting in a wife beater at a, a checkered tablecloth table and he's drinking some table wine. He's like, ah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some red sauce on his shirt. Yeah, he spilled yeah. red sauce. He's eating a meatball sub and he's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we stuck it to Canadians last time and now we're sticking it to now, Italian Americans. Now we're coming for the Italian Americans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, look out, Irish Americans! Your turn up next on the. Uh, you're, up next on, you're up next on the docket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my key takeaway number two was based on the commercials. So when Nicole is shooting her commercial at the start with the sexy ladies in the bikinis and the fur suits, that'd be a fun '80s band or an '80s cover band. Oh, for a bikini? No, uh, bikinis and furs. All right, next project. You and I we're going to learn instruments. We're going to become an '80s cover band. Can we spell it like guns, like because guns and roses? Can we be like bikinis and furs and that kind of thing? You have to wear the slash top up. 
I really love this idea of being an 80s cover band and it's called The Keys and Furs. I would do that. My musical skills are... are... Keyboard. You know how to play keyboard. I can play a little bit of keyboard and... Uh... I play piano, but I am completely useless because I am 110% classical trained. You'd have to be like the Randy Rhodes of our band where you'd be like, I'm just playing classical music via guitar. I would be like, where's my sheet music that somebody else <laughs> wrote for me? Yeah, I'm I'm not a fun, I'm not a fun band person. At the very least, we have a Photoshop situation in our future where we Photoshop ourselves to look like an 80s all cover glitz, rock band. No substance. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, all filler, no killer is what we can put out, <laughs> we put on our poster. <laughs> so my key takeaway number two is when Nicole is setting up and doing that commercial shoot at the start with the ladies in the bikinis wearing the furs. I noticed that since they keep showing commercials for the stuff throughout the movie, the commercials they show later on have nothing to do with ladies in bikinis and wearing furs. There's the Abe Vigoda, where's the beef lady commercial that we see. And then there's some like yuppies doing aerobics version of a stuff commercial. So I was just confused. What she was shooting for that commercial does not match the commercials that they were showing. And this was 85, so this was pre the Geico era where you could have multiple concepts for a commercial running at the same time. So I'm just saying that like, I was a little upset that we didn't see later on- The fruition of the bikinis. The fruition of the bikinis. I'm not, which is me not saying that I wanted to see Abe Vigoda and the words, the beef lady wearing furs and bikinis. But I'm just saying. <laughs> so they, they kind of dropped the ball on that. And my third key takeaway is we are not entirely clear what the effects of the stuff truly are. Because the first time we understand what the stuff might be doing is that scene where Michael Moriarty and Garrett Morse are running away from the guys who are trying to attack them at that store. And I think they hop in a boat or something like that to get away. And Michael Moriarty punches one of the guys in the face and he just caves the guy's head in. Like the guy's head like shatters and opens up. And Moriarty just plays it off like, ah, and keeps running and never really acknowledges the fact that he just punched a hole through a man's face. It's almost like a I fuck guys like you in prison roadhouse situation. Yeah, it was a very I fuck guys like you in prison roadhouse situation. And it was just weird because, again, he wasn't learned about what the stuff was at that point. How did you have no human being reaction to the fact that you murdered a man with your bare hand? We never get a great sense of what the long term effects of the stuff are. Can you be pulled back? You know, if you've been be stuffed for a certain That's amount of awesome. time. <laughs> yeah. If you can you recover from it? Do you have like three months where you can recover it? Like we never really know if the kid got to go back to his family. Like were they too far gone? I don't know. Did his family survive? Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. So again, maybe that's something that could be covered in stuff two double stuff. Um, so that's 1985's The Stuff. That's about all the stuff I've got to say about this. Yeah. Hey. Ayo. Yeah, I'll say I think I enjoyed slightly more than you did, but. I enjoyed it, I think, up until the part that it just like, when it got like really military. Right. And I realized it was going to be like more military and less horror. Yeah. I was like, oh, now I just feel like I'm watching some like weird action right. flick. It killed your horror boners, right? It was like. Yes, it did. It was a horror boner killer. <laughs> right. If that is such a thing. But it is now, and that's what it's, it did. That can be our rating system for the future. We're like, did this movie kill your horror boner? But it was a it was a fun movie, and I would definitely say to somebody who's not on board with horror, mm-hmm. you could watch this and it won't it won't freak you out. 
Maybe that's why I had more fun with it. Like, I'm kind of the right audience for it since I'm not necessarily a super hard guy. I'm kind of like... You were fine. And I was slightly disappointed. I was like, I need more scares. Yeah, I think that's completely fine. But I will say, all things considered, it was a successful suggestion. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions for us, please go to www.stabcab.com and click on any of the social links to get in touch with us and shoot your movie idea your way. Our way. Your way. You tell you about the movie that you want to watch. Don't tell us. No, tell us. Can we say slide into our DMs or is that, is that? Oh, um, you can say that. I'm not saying that. No, you're right. We don't want, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, I'm old and I don't understand lingo. So I don't know if that's a thing we want to say. Hit us up on TikTok, even though, no. Uh, to hit us up on Grindr and, uh, and we'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll put up a Craigslist ad for yeah. me and Andrew. If you can, uh, hang one of those signs around the neighborhood that just has the phone number pull tab off of it. And just like walk up that way. And that's, that's how we'll figure out what your next, what our next. We'll we'll check the personals in the in the village voice. Yeah, we'll check personals your, and lampposts all around for, for your movie suggestions. Yeah, <laughs> so no, hit us up with any movie suggestions that you have, and we will get around to doing it just like we did today. So thank you, Katie, for your suggestion. It was a fun one. Let me return the favor. Katie is the proprietor of Flutter by Katie. Katie's a really talented artist, and she makes these really interesting sculptures out of found objects and the primary element in them. She uses butterflies, and she makes these really cool sculptures that she encases in glass, and they're decorative pieces you can put in your house, and they're really amazing. She's extraordinarily talented. Check out Katie's stuff at flutterbykatie.com, and she has an Instagram and a Twitter account. Go check it out. Her stuff is amazing. That's awesome. We should put her up on our Instagram. I will. So we'll, we'll give Katie a little shout out on Instagram too. So check out our Instagram page. A little uh, Katie shout out. So yeah, thanks again, Katie. And folks, till next time. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I set it up for you. I know. I set it up for I, you. I, I really, I gotta start writing the buttons in advance. <laughs> you just say bye. We'll see you next time on Stabcat. Bye. Everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. Before your mama passed away, she made me promise every